this one is from uh, Adopting Bitcoin, and this one is from El Salvador. So uh, there you go. Here's a lanyard that's traveled from the great uh, the great state of El Salvador, if you want. But anyways. I hope you're all well, and welcome to the Freedom Coffee live stream, where we celebrate our freedoms in the past, and we look to expand those freedoms in the future, and the way we do that is we rid ourselves of any sort of stress or anxiety, and we do that with a cup of coffee. This is your big stress reliever, and we all, we all need some sort of mechanism to get us into a state where we're not stressed, and for me, it's this, right? Because if you're not stressed, you're not suffering anxiety then you can deal with anything, much like during the Freedom Convoy, where uh, lots of people were stressed, running around, all that sort of stuff. And, um, sorry, I got it, the lights a little bright. And, uh, you know, a, a big part of what I was trying to do uh, with a lot of people, some people you know, was calm them down and get them just to focus on that the world is not collapsing and uh, everything is going to work out. Just be patient, give it time, and don't do anything. Don't make any rash decisions or, you know, lose your temper or slip into anxiety, which I believe is still um, uh, excellent advice. All right. So um, please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, we're on a bunch of different platforms today that I'm experimenting with. Hopefully they will work this time. They didn't work last time. Uh, Jess, I know you're there with Rocky. Ed says, anxiety relief with caffeine, huh? Well, totally, yeah, because it's not that it's going to, you know, boost that anxiety. It kind of, it shifts me into work mode. And once you get into work mode, it's no longer, at least for me, I shift from having, focusing on emotional outcomes and the outcomes uh, in particular and just focusing on the individual tax, uh, tasks. It's like, I don't know, it's the button you press like on these focus modes on my phone where you press it like, okay, now I'm in work mode. Now nothing's going to bother me. I'm just going to get stuff done sort of thing, right? All right. So next, um, I, so I, I want to apologize for all of this. I'm doing this on, on Friday. So what happened? You know, people are always like when you're streaming, all that sort of stuff, and I'm trying to, to work on uh, schedule. But here's a perfect example. So my dispatch says to me on Tuesday, I told them, you know, I'm available, what did I say to them? I said I was available Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week. So they messaged me on Monday, no, we don't have anything on, on uh, Tuesday. I'm like, okay, great. They messaged me on Tuesday, no, we don't have anything for Wednesday, but we should have something for Thursday. Okay, great. Well, I'm in bed. I set up all this stream. This was like the first time that I was setting it up the night before. Usually I do it the morning of. I set up everything the night before. And what happened? I'm in bed. I get an alert at 1 in the morning. I'm half asleep. And this alert, wait, well, maybe I'm fully asleep. I don't know. This alert wakes me up. And remember, I'm supposed to have a dispatch to leave on Thursday for Friday delivery. I've set up that I'm going to stream on Wednesday. What do I get? I get a dispatch. Uh, to go to Virginia that morning. So, oh God, okay, great. So what I had to do is come here and, and reshuffle everything. That's why it's so difficult. And you know, it's really, it's really frustrating. I don't know if any, I'm, oh, I'm sure all of you have been in scenarios like this. I'm really good with um, dealing with things get thrown, like in Ottawa, things get thrown at you 
and you gotta come up with a solution quick and fast, which is exactly what we were doing in Ottawa. It's, one day I'll tell all the stories. It was a little bit crazy, right? But I do like to have things at least some, I like to have them time blocked. So certain things are gonna be a certain time just for automation purposes. So you know, you structure, to, you bias and structure towards time blocking on automation. And all of my tasks, none of them, well, very few of them, actually have dates associated with them. They're just kind of within blocks to give a little bit of flexibility. But have you ever worked at a company where everything is reactionary? Everything. Nothing is ever planned. It's crazy. Uh, I, I don't know how these businesses run themselves. Uh, I, I guess they're successful in spite of themselves. But everything is just reactionary. And then they wonder – then people wonder why – employees get stressed or have low morale. You know, something I learned many, many years ago in management, which is what I uh, tried to use uh, in Ottawa, like I've managed some very large teams. Uh, employee morale is very, very, very important. And if your employee morale is low, well, two things. First, your overall employee morale, it's only going to be as high as your most miserable person. And you have to make an effort to keep the most miserable people happy because then everybody else will start to start to work cohesively. But these companies, I don't understand companies that just don't take into account the psychology of their staff. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit annoying sometimes, but you have no choice if you want to further things forward, right? Uh, again, I give you uh, Ottawa and the Freedom Convoy as well. While we were Myself and some others were trying to sow an environment and an ambient of positivity and love and whatever. And that was great. The people who were on board with that, they were amazing. We all got along. Everything was fine. But the people who were trying to tear it down, what were they doing to try it down? tear it down? They're trying to sow the seeds of divide and conquer and stress and, you know, whisper campaigns and, you know, like dirtbag lawyers talking shit about each other behind our backs and whatever, uh, they'll have it coming to them. But, I mean, that's – it's important when you have any sort of team to have, you know, uh, a positive framing of uh, psychology for everybody because that way at least you can overcome obstacles. If you don't, then it's going to uh, – it'll kill you. All right. Uh, <clears throat> one – a couple last more things before I start. The um, Christmas – it's Christmas – right? If you want to reach out with a message of positivity, what better way than telling all the positive stories from the Freedom Convoy and some of the scary ones. Uh, you know, Dave Live from The Shed is in here as well. And uh, when the guns were drawn on him, that was uh, quite spooky. And um, also the Bitcoin story, you know, the, the two chapters on what we went through. And for if you want to refute all the hacks online, that try to smear myself and others, you know, they, they can't read affidavits from court documents. But anyways, all the good stuff is in here. It explains it. And there's obviously much more because it's only 200, what, what, what was it, 220 pages approximately. But um, this is a good base starter to, to reach people across the, uh, across the spectrum and pay, maybe people in your friends and family that are still a little confused about the Freedom Convoy. Um, let me just send something because somebody keeps messaging me. Uh, one second. Uh, 
wait, uh, God, you know, okay, all right, um, okay, next, uh, the, oh, the other thing I was going to suggest, if you're going to do this for Christmas, and you're looking for a range of stuff, uh, this is very good. But another one that's quite good is this book, Reframe Your Brain, by Scott Adams. You know, anybody who is, especially in the times that we're living in right now, things are a little bit stressful. We see all these fake protests all over the place. The political class is trying to divide us and all that sort of stuff. Uh, this will definitely help. This is a lot of what, you know, we talk about here is uh, different reframing. And as I put in my Substack, bjdictor.substack.com, this was, uh, in my opinion, the greatest reframe in Canadian history, and I explained that in the Substack. But this book is, it's really a good intro to it to help develop that skill. And all of these, all of these things are skills. You know, we, people go to the gym and they'll work on exercising all the muscles in their body, and that is important. But there's also the emotional muscles and, and in here that we need to exercise and expand and learn how to think differently and learn how to deal with stress and that sort of stress and all sorts of obstacles and challenges that life uh, sends your way. And it's a really good starter book to get uh, into that, no pun intended, into that frame. All right. So I was, uh, some of you know, I was in Las Vegas, which is why I wasn't streaming last week, although I tried to, but uh, we all know what hotel Wi-Fi is like. And it was just not possible. I couldn't do the conference. The hotel Wi-Fi was not great, so I figured I would wait until I start here. But I know some of you have gotten into Bitcoin. Some of you watch here, join my spaces and all that sort of stuff. Um, if you are into Bitcoin, uh, some of you are in the, the Discord, for example, you really should consider going to a conference. It's really a great experience getting to meet so many of these people from around the world who you've gotten to know and to share ideas and all that sort of stuff um so yeah this was the unconfiscatable con uh, conference in vegas i think this was the fifth year in a row if i'm not mistaken and one of the things that was great is there's people across the spectrum politically most of them are not really all that political anyway so it makes it easier but it's um it's really I know it's a treat to, to finally be able to interact with people who would disagree on some ideas politically, but it's in a very positive frame. Nobody attacks each other. You just kind of agree or disagree. And uh, you learn a lot about reaching people on the other side and what their motivations are and all that sort of stuff. Um, <clears throat> hey, maybe you could have a Bitcoin person on your live stream sometime. Well, that's me. <laughs> I'm a Bitcoin person. That's why they've invited me to speak at, um, at so many of these conferences. And <clears throat> I'll have an announcement about that in 2024 as well, as uh, some more conferences I'll be speaking at. But <clears throat> I told you I'm sick, so forgive me. Uh, Edge, what, um, what specifically would you want to learn about Bitcoin in the space? What do you want me – because I don't want to turn it into a Bitcoin space, but I definitely don't mind talking about it and help helping, I don't know, raise awareness and understanding of what it is. Because really it's 
the idea is it's your hedge against the next econ economic collapse. That's what it's designed for. We'll find out uh, this time if we do have an economic collapse, if it um, achieves what it's supposed to, but it might, right? So anyways, that's, uh, that's one thing. Um, and the other thing is if you go to Las Vegas, I posted a video of it, the Las Vegas Sphere. I don't know if you've seen it. It's amazing. So uh, the Las Vegas Sphere is this planetarium, and it's shaped like a sphere. You know, I think of the movie Sphere. But it's shaped as a sphere, just plopped on some property. I don't know how many billions it cost them. But the whole sphere on the outside is an LED screen. It's really quite cool. It's, uh, it's one thing to see it on video because I was watching a couple of videos and reading about it before I went to Vegas. But to see it in person, it's one of those few things. You know, they always say, well, it's never the same thing in person. And that's often the case, but not always. With the case of the Las Vegas sphere, yeah, 100%. It, is, um, it really is remarkable. So check it out. <clears throat> All right. See, now you'll understand why today's a little bit shorter because uh, <laughs> I'm kind of dying. All right, Miele. Miele. <clears throat> or should I say, Mile, Javier Mile. Uh, Javier Mile took power in uh, Argentina this week, which is a country, those of us who are familiar with Latin America, is very significant, both historically and economically. And uh, that's a country that was, what, the seventh uh, wealthiest country in the world? And then they discovered uh, social socialism. <laughs> and then they turned it into a complete shithole. And uh, then they had uh, military rule and it all collapsed. So that's what socialism leads to. But <clears throat> I had a conversation this week with um, <clears throat> with somebody I know who has shared a stage with Malay a number of times. And uh, I think I think he said three times he's given he, so he knows him, <clears throat> has spoken to him many times, and uh, shared a stage, knows his ideas and his, th his thoughts and all that. Well, not his thoughts, but kind of understands his perspective economically in the world. And he was very complimentary towards Millet. He said, "Yeah, that guy really. Un I mean, he's a PhD in economics. He's not stupid, but he's an Austrian, which is something like I don't know if you know." So you have different schools of thought on economics. You hear often this phrase, Austrian economics. Austrian economics is like the libertarian frame, the, the less government, less government interference uh, in the marketplace and allow the marketplace to, um, uh, to solve its problems on its own. And just the idea is it's no longer being coddled, right? And then you have the Keynesians on another side, which is basically what we're – uh, using right now, which is just print money like crazy. That's how you get MMT. And uh, I don't know if you know this. You could go through university in North America at the most prestigious universities and do a four-year degree, a master's degree in economics and never have exposure to Austrian economics, which is kind of the – I guess it's the Mises – um, well, there's not just Mises, but, you know, that, that school of thought. Think about that. You can go and get a four-year degree and then a master's degree in economics and never have studied free market economics. You want to know why our society is collapsing? It's because of crap like that. It's just like people on the left who 
I'm not saying that pejoratively right now. People on the left right now who buy into all the hoaxes or uh, have Trump derangement syndrome or freedom convoy derangement syndrome, it's because they only have ever heard what their echo chamber is telling them. They're never hearing any counterarguments. How can you be an, econom- an economist, which the whole point of economics is you understand counterarguments and never hear a counterargument to the economic system that you're being brainwashed with. It's just – anyways, it's amazing. So <clears throat> on the first day – and people were complaining. I, I just don't understand. People just don't have a concept of how politics works. But on the first day uh, – and this is unprecedented. This is lightning fast. He did a bunch of econo- – um, um, uh, what's it called? Executive orders. And – he went. He took the government from 21 departments, or I guess we would call ministries, similar to that. So the structure is a little bit different, but whatever. They went from 21 to nine in one day. One day. That would take us here if we could even get the political will to do that. And nobody ever wants to do anything because everyone here is a coward. Uh, years, decades, I don't know. 21 to to nine in one day. Like that is, that is truly amazing. And uh, he devalued the currency, which is hard to explain economically for a lot of people who have a very uh, basically of understanding of economics. But the second day, <laughs> what do you do on the second day? So the first day got rid of. Uh, he took the government down to nine departments. On the second day. He started cracking down on all the drug cartels. Now, I, I don't think people understand this because we're in the West because we are a little bit spoiled. And people don't understand what it's, what it's like to be in Latin America where you have kind of these narco regions, uh, little towns, little pueblitos that certain drug cartels run. And you like that is it's an experience you will never experience in the Western world yet. We may experience that in the near future if we continue doing what we're doing. But he he went into like there's certain areas. They're like no go zones. You know, France has all these no go zones. It's like no go zones throughout throughout all of Latin America that if you or I uh, walked through those areas, uh, we would be marked and likely kidnapped, which is an industry in Latin America. Uh, so we're, again, Argentina going from the sixth or seventh wealthiest country on the planet to no-go zones, kidnappings, and drug cartels. Thank you, socialism. Thank you. <laughs> right? Because that always leads to the pit, the pit of hell, right? So this will be very exper- – this will be very – Interesting to see this experiment of getting Millet elected in Argentina uh, to shift over to – like completely to the other side to a free market uh, economic model based on Austrian economics. And what's going to happen if they're successful? What happens if he goes in even though his – it was elected only with 15 – he's got 15 percent of their house – they're equivalent to either House of Commons or Congress, whatever. Their structure is a little different. But he's got 15% of it. He needs to form a coalition. So he found a coalition partner. Uh, 
what's going to happen if Austrian economics takes Argentina, which over the past hundred years has completely imploded, and shifts it back to they become a dominant economic force? What's going to happen to all the uh, closeted socialists around the Western world who are trying to brainwash all of you that you need government programs, right? You think there's going to be a lot of call for other countries to do the same? I don't know. But I think it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. You know, uh, anyways, that's, uh, that's what it is. All right, I'm, gonna, I would, the, uh, I'm just going to run through these things for pretty quickly because I'm deathly ill. <laughs> I'm pretty sick. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so one, we saw what happened in October 7th. A uh, bunch of goat fuckers invaded uh, Israel and brought in 7th century barbarism, burned women alive, uh, tortured people, beheaded people, all the usual crap. Um, there was a poll that came out in the past couple of days of people, I, I think it was Rasmussen, I can't remember, I was going through a bunch of stuff while I was uh, loading yesterday, but the... A poll was taken, 72%. And just so you understand, 75% is about 100%. That's consensus in polling. Uh, because, you know, Scott talks about this frequently, but everybody kind of knows. 25% of people will get the wrong answer for every poll, uh, no matter what. They'll just, I don't know, their brain turns off. They're thinking they misunderstand the question and their headspace is not right. So uh, 75% is basically 100%. So um, what percentage of Palestinians who lived in Gaza, what do you think? What percentage of Palestinians who lived in Gaza support the goat fuckers invading Israel? What do you think? What, what, what percentage? Well, I'll tell you. According to this poll, and we knew it was pretty high before this, 72%. Okay, so they got what they wanted. They, they, they seemed to think it was worth it. All right. They went. They invaded. Uh, it leveled Gaza. And they're still on board. Okay. All right, so don't have sympathy for them. Sorry. No sympathy. Uh, also, free speech is back on Twitter related to all this because now we can finally talk about extremism. Things that uh, many people had been censored for quite some time. And if you notice now, you see people like, uh, we'll call him Rami Tomlinson, so we don't get censored on uh, Twitter, is back on Twitter. Um, people are talking about all the extremist proxy groups and exposing them, Dr. David Ellie as well as another person who has a lot of uh, good information. I think he's, he's in California or in Israel, I'm not sure. I think he's in California. Um, but people are just fed up. People are just fed up being fed with being told how to think and what to think, and uh, it's enough. So that's all. Um, that's all good stuff. So uh, I'm I'm positive and bullish on things in the future that they're going to get a little bit better because of that. But um, yeah, it's uh, and that's also one of the reasons we now know seventy two percent of the people who lived in Gaza thought it was worth it. They thought it was worth it to have their own city leveled uh, just so they could, they could kill some people. All right, good. Uh, okay, the, so on the area of free speech is well, there's, this blo there's this technique that you can see over and over again. Somebody's 
kind of got this on my radar, and I think that's what's happening with me and a number of other people. Despite the fact that I'm paying for Twitter services, but, you know, things will work it out itself out over time. There are, people often complain about being shadow banned on Twitter and that Twitter is not uh, free speech and blah, 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 despite the fact that I think all evidence shows uh, Elon Musk is doing everything he can to try to reintroduce uh, free speech there. So... That what they do, this is what's happening. You're seeing a lot of this in the political class in Canada, uh, targeting certain people. I'm sure myself as well. Uh, they, this is kind of how they trigger the shadow banning. It doesn't actually come from Twitter on the inside. This is what happens. So the people who are in the you know political cartel who want to sur- silence certain speech – what they do is they, as always, they've always done this. They've hired a, a, a digital PR firm. Uh, and as Elon uh, correctly explained in an interview recently, PR means propaganda. If you've ever read Bernays' book or know any of that sort of research from the dawn of modern propaganda, you would know public relations is just a rebrand of propaganda that doesn't have negative connotations, which was the idea. So what this PR slash propaganda, a digital PR propaganda firm will do is they'll subcontract to some programmers to, to, um, uh, to generate and deploy uh, a list of different bot accounts, right? And we all see the bot accounts. We saw them during the Freedom Convoy. I was dealing with it constantly when I was running both Tamara's account and my account. And it was, you know, it's, I was taking snapshots of the bot accounts and putting them up and that would get more traffic and whatever. Um, so I was able to overwhelm this tactic during the Freedom Convoy. But what they'll do is they'll deploy all these bots. So they'll create all these bots accounts and they'll target uh, accounts on a list that are not, let's say, aligned politically with what they want, right? Uh, so, for example, people who will speak honestly how the conservatives and the liberals both together uh, co-opted and uh, ruined the Freedom Convoy and caused all those uh, truckers to get arrested. So they'll deploy the bots. They'll, they'll target the people that they want to silence on that issue. They'll deploy the bots. So the bot will see will be able to read the list of people that they want to silence. And what all these hundreds or thousands of bots accounts that have been created, which, by the way, they only last for a short period of time, and then they're kicked off the platform. This is kind of like the, the digital uh, battlefield that's going on behind the scenes. The bot will identify a list of Twitter accounts that it wants to uh, shadow ban, and what they'll do is they'll block it. Because in the Twitter algorithm, if it detects that somebody is being blocked, then it'll detect that, oh, people don't want to see it. Maybe the person is a bot, or maybe the person has been identified as being aggressive or saying things that are fake. Like everybody's blocked somebody for a rational reason. But imagine if you deploy 10,000 bots and you target uh, a few accounts and say these 10,000 people blocked this account, what's going to happen? You're shadow banned. Uh, so that's, that's not coming from inside Twitter. It's coming from your political class, the, po- the political people who – the donations that you give to political parties, um, 
sometimes it's that sometimes it's the uh, the big donors and they'll they'll fund operations like this but they that money will be used to create to generate a list generate some bots and block a bunch of people so they aren't heard welcome to the era of political free speech so when they say they support free speech and all that sort of stuff doesn't matter the party they're full of crap. None of them do. None of them do. They're all they're all socialists. All of them. That's why they're working for the government. That's why they want to get a job in the government. Because they're goddamn socialists. All of them. They can't cut it in the private sector. So they go to suck on the tit of the government. That's it. That's what they are. All of them. Like, oh, this one's a real... Burp, burp, burp. No, no, no. They are all... All of them are incompetent fools who can't cut it in the private sector. Who are also obsessed with uh, with power? You know, uh, Patrick Ben David did a video on this a number of times, a number of different videos, and I th- I saw it, I thought and I'm like, huh, that is so perfect. So the people you need to fear most are the people who are lazy and ambitious, because they're the ones who will get you. Yeah, yeah, those are your politicians. Right. All right. <clears throat> Some, um, I'll talk about this tomorrow. Uh, the BlackRock, the BlackRock has uh, applied for an ETF, a Bitcoin ETF, uh, which is very good news for Bitcoin, I think, over the long term, at least we hope it is. And something that came out in the past week is that one of their seed investors, so they're one of their investors helping to build this ETF, uh, bought $100,000 worth of Bitcoin in October hoping that this ETF will be approved. That's according to Bitcoin Magazine. So when people say, oh, Bitcoin is just a Ponzi or Bitcoin is whatever, whatever smear they tried to give it, look, all of Wall Street is coming on board. Or if you're in Canada, Bay Street uh, has been on board with Bitcoin for some time. Uh, It is inevitable. They're not getting involved because they think it's some, you know, uh, Nigerian prince scam. That's not what uh, that's not what what BlackRock invests in. And uh, listen, I, I understand all the uh, uneasiness with BlackRock. We all get it. There's some shady stuff that goes on, but that's not the point. The point is the largest uh, invest the largest investment firm or hedge fund. I think it's the largest investment firm on the planet is buying Bitcoin. They're not buying the Nigerian print scam. Uh, so if you want some confirmation that this digital protocol that is decentralized that nobody controls has validity, there's your validity. So just something to consider. All right. Um, last thing is, on a positive note, despite the fact it's very difficult for me because, oh boy, am I sick right now. Um, well, I, the positive note is I'm back home. <laughs> so I can do a little bit of work today and finally uh, get some rest. Uh, the Christmas season is above us, is, is upon us, which is very good. And I'm hoping this Christmas season will be a very positive one for all of you. By the way, just a reminder, <laughs> I'm telling you, if you want to reach people on the other side, which is what we have to do, we can't just keep yelling at the cloud and yelling on social media and complaining about how nobody listens. You want to get them to listen, get them this story. This is of... You know, all the books that have been written have all been written by political ops. And they're all just parroting the same, you know, apologetics for the conservative party. That's all horse manure. Um, 
But if you want to share the positive stories with people, and we talk about Trudeau here, of course. We talk, talk about it a little bit. But uh, just to give uh, a perspective of what we're dealing with. If you want the positive stories, you want to reach people, which is what we need to do, this is going to be your best bet. It's going to be your best bet to do it. If you have family members that are still don't understand why freedom is important, uh, don't understand why unifying and finding each other is important, this is the book I think that's going to do it, which is why I wrote it. And that's why I try to get it out as quickly as possible. Because I knew the political trash would try to retroactively change history, which they've been trying to do ever since. But the other thing is we're in this, you know, not just any season, but particularly in Christ- the Christmas season. Don't let the noise get to you. You know, there, you're going to see a lot of bad economic data. You can see by the fact that shopping malls are empty uh, for the first time uh, in a Christmas season. Uh, that, that's not good. Uh, that's, that's really not good. Uh, everybody's buying their stuff from China and Amazon. Well, what's the difference? Um, and that may have negative uh, economic ripple effects in North America after the Christmas season, right? When we see first quarter earnings. And that might have a negative impact on the stock market. Or it may not. Maybe we have, as some people theorize now, a self-correcting economy. I don't know. I'm not an economist. But don't let the noise get to you, right? Like we're all, we're all adopt- adaptable. We can all get through some really tough times. All of you have had tough times in your life and you've managed to overcome them. So no matter what happens, if things get a little bit difficult, you'll be able to overcome them because you always have. It might be frustrating. There's no question. It always is. But if you get out of that state of anxiety, uh, of frustration, then you can just work through it, right? And also this time, if we end up having, uh, you know, economic downturns that are severe, well, now we have a hedge. Now we have the Bitcoin hedge, which we didn't have before. And that's why it was created. Um, uh, what's, are they, oh, uh, Jesse's talking about the Palestinian protesters. Well, the first thing to tell you, uh, Jesse, because I know a little bit about this, having, you know, done some work in this area, uh, you don't have to really worry because they're not Palestinian, right? None of those people are going out are Palestinian. A few of them are a handful. Uh, depends which country you're in. Uh, in Canada, predominantly, they're, they're mainly Pakistani. And you think, why would somebody who's Pakistani go out and protest uh, Free Palpatine, which is what I I describe their their protests? And it's pretty simple because there's a network of money laundering uh, through various uh, NGOs, different groups, all that sort of stuff that are politically tied. And money basically just filters through this uh, distribution channel, ends up at the local community center. Uh, where the imam in the community center says, hey, whoever, whoever wants to come protest this weekend, we'll give you $150 if you bring your whole family. Okay, so they're incentivized. They go down, they wave the free Palpatine flag, you know, uh, death to whatever, blah, blah, blah. And uh, then they go home. And it's funny because I've been to some of those protests with some friends from the Middle East uh, who have come to uh, Canada to get away from this garbage. And they'll go up and talk to these people. They don't care. They're just sitting there with their family. You know, their kids are having some cookies. They're just sitting back and watching. This is most of the people, not all of them, obviously. You have a core group of, of lunatics and uh, people who are mentally ill in the middle. 
But most of them, if you look at them around the protests, they're just kind of sitting around holding a sign, kind of bored, waiting for the bus to come pick them up and tell them when they're ready to go back home so they can collect their 150 bucks. That's why. So it's all fake. It's all fake. It's all fabricated. All this nonsense. The only ones that are a little bit uh, more authentic are the ones that are brainwashed on university campus. And those are all white liberals, right? <laughs> they're not Pakistani. They're not Palestinian. They're just brainwashed fools, right? And what happens when you're a kid in university, right? You don't have to go back in any period of history, 80s, 70s, maybe not as much. But, well, yeah, 80s was all about acid rain and stuff like that. But 70s and 60s and protesting the Vietnam War and whatever. If you get a hold of the cultural zeitgeist on a university campus, you can convince students to do protests whatever you want. If they think they're incentivized, if they think they can get laid and get girls um, or find people, then they'll get involved. That's it. That's what they're incentivized by. So that is not authentic either. They're just brainwashed, right? We all saw what happened in October. And I like how uh, Scott describes it. He says, I don't care. I don't care about the historic grievances. I don't care. I don't want to know. I don't care. You, you went in. You chopped up a bunch of, bunch of bodies. You burned people alive. Don't care anymore. And then 72% of you say, oh, it was worth it. It was worth it to destroy, uh, to level a city because we got to kill people. Fine. Fine. Go screw yourself. No sympathy. And I think that's where we are. Uh, Rocky is yelling at you, Ben. What is Rocky yelling at me? What did I do? Rocky, <laughs> don't get upset. I miss you, brother. Um, on that note, I'm going to cut a little bit short just because I am. I feel like death. And I had to do this because this was scheduled. I will try to be here tomorrow. Hopefully, I'll feel a little bit better. And uh, But don't let all of this stuff get to you. I mean, the protests are fake. The outrage is fake as always. The economy may turn downward. But we're all adaptable. We all figure it out. And um, now we have Bitcoin as a hedge. And if you're not into Bitcoin, well, okay, eventually. I think eventually you'll, people will understand what it is. It'll take time. And if you don't understand it, don't feel bad. It takes everybody. It took me a year to understand the implications and why it is. He's yelling hello. I hope you're recording it, uh, Jesse. If you record it, I'm going to put it up on the on uh, my socials. I want people to see it. Hello, Rocky. All right. I hope that makes him happy. All right. Uh, I got to run. It's getting late and I'm going to die. But I love you all and I will talk to you all soon.